moment ago, you said that you ordered Lieutenant Kendrick to tell his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched. That's right. And Lieutenant Kendrick was clear on what you wanted? Crystal. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he forgot about it? No. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick left your office and said, the old man is wrong? No. When Lieutenant Kendrick spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch Santiago, any chance they ignored him? You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands? Asked him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. Colonel, I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then why would Santiago be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Santiago was a substandard Marine. He was being transferred... That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You said I... he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said, is there I any recall other... what I said. I can have the court reporter read back to you. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm... Why did you orders? Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut person. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had markers inside the bony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Everybody, this is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Yeah, you know what? You just heard that that rather long clip from uh, a few good men. I know you were waiting for the "You can't handle the truth, son." You, we live in a world with walls, and people have to guard those walls. Men with guns. You know what? The beginning of the the the, the scene that leads up to the "You can't handle the truth" is the whole is the whole beauty of this whole movie. How uh, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, Lieutenant Chaffee, is that his name? I don't know. Admiral Cat Chaffee? I don't remember what rank he was. But uh, Tom Cruise just, just leads him in, sucks him in one question at a time, and then corners him. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of what we saw with James Comey. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was thinking. We're going to talk about this in the second half, but I thought this is a perfect, perfect clip. Because, you know, we just want to get to the truth. We want to know what's really going on. Is is Trump really being investigated for colluding with the Russians? Uh, you know, what happened here? Did anybody do anything wrong? You know, what did uh, what what is the whole 
is there any there there as the as the Democrats won't allow the Republicans to get on with the uh, the agenda of making America great again? All they want to do is tie us up in what happened here. And, you know, we heard Al Al uh, Green, uh, Congressman Al Green, a couple of days ago. I personally am going to draft impeachment papers for what? Why don't you uh, go home and play hopscotch? Do something. Do something a little bit more uh, productive than that. I'm going to draw impeachment papers. Someone asked uh, Maxine Waters the other day, and she goes, "You know what? I'm not going to be deterred by Obama haters. I'm my agenda is to impeach this president. Why? Hey, you know what? If you live in L.A. and if you live in Maxine Waters district, and you realize that we're paying her like $170,000 a year to work for us." And she, and all, and she's not doing anything but trying to impeach Trump for what? She admitted my agenda is to impeach the president. Just makes you wonder. Just makes you wonder. Makes you scratch your head and go, "Is this really America?" Give me a break. And the mainstream media is is just feeding into it because they, you know, the people that aren't engaged in what's going on, they just they just don't hear everything. They don't hear anything, and they don't give a chance to listen. But you've got the main event, so if you're listening, I'm going to recap everything. I'm going to recap all the important stuff of this week, and I'm going to tell you what to think about it. You know, and because uh, everybody has an opinion, and everybody's entitled to mine. But first, let me introduce myself before I go on to my opinion. Let me introduce who I am. I'm Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. Based out of Southern California, offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are fantastic opportunities, rates are still great, and there's still some great opportunities out there. If but you got to look for them; they're not going to they're not going to come over and step on your foot. Um, you know, if you're not if you don't have if you don't have your hook in the water, nothing's going to bite. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in some of those and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's area code 855-640-2020, day or night, 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're stealing time from your boss or you don't want me to hear your voice or for whatever reason, maybe you're a millennial and you just don't use the phone. You're too cool for that. Um, go to WCCLoans.com. That's W www.wccloans.com I have all kinds of mortgage information for you and uh, if you want to get some information uh, go to the loan center tab and then hit apply now and uh, let me know how much information you want and give me as much information as you want me to have to start with and uh, you'll hear back from either me or one of my teammates if you'd like to email me first you can click on the contact page or just email me at edhoffman at wccloans.com or you can go to the contact page and find me and it'll It'll email me as well. Is there any part of the show you want repeated? Also on edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page, listen to it on demand anytime. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, where you can actually uh, have it download once a week, once a week to your uh, iPhone, your i uh, iWatch, your iPad, your iPod, your computer, your Droid, any kind of uh, device that you listen to podcasts on. You can have it uh, subscribed for free. So every week when we upload it, um, it'll download to your device, and you can listen to it anywhere you want. Be sure to connect with the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. And like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. And don't forget about the main event listener hotline, where you can leave me a voicemail and tell me what you think of the show. You know what? Uh, as I said, everybody has a everybody has the right to my opinion. Now I want to hear yours. Uh, leave me a message at 855 855- 
2092. 2092. That's not 2020. It's 2092. Uh, I might just play your message on the show uh, like this one. Brother Eddie Hoffman, it's Brother B from Phelan, California. Love your program. And I just did two refis, and I got a new loan, purchased a home in Jess Ranch in Apple Valley. And Randy, Randy, what a great guy Randy is. He helped me out a lot. I just want to let you know I love your program. I listen to you every Saturday. I also love our president, Donald Trump. I love his family. I love what he intends to do for this nation, which I believe he wants to do what's good, to do what's right, and to do what's best. I keep him in my prayers daily, as all Americans should. So I want to give you this acronym that I created for Donald Trump. Here it is. Dominating, offensive, nonsensical, apathetic, liberal Democrats. Trump, tremendous results under mounting pressure. Keep it in our prayers, America. That's Brother B. Thielen, California. Yeah, and I also want to say hello to Lydia, who left a voice. She didn't leave a voicemail. She called our office and uh, talked to a couple people at the office and uh, to tell us how much she loves the show. And uh, just so you so you know, Lydia, I got the message, and keep on listening. Let me know your comments, 640-2092, 855-640-2092. So uh, this week, uh, I took part of my team over to uh, Las Vegas to this mastermind conference. And uh, you know what? Joey Jones was on my show uh, several several times, and w- one of the things that I always asked him about uh, his experience with uh, our Secretary of Defense, uh, James Mad Dog Mattis, and and the reason I was so interested was because Joey used to say when uh, when we had 17, 17 candidates for for the Republican uh, nomination, he said he he said you know. Somebody he would support is James Mattis, and I didn't know who James Mattis was, and he's the head of the head of the Marine Corps, or was before he retired. And uh, he said he would support him for president. So when Trump made him Secretary of Defense, I'm interested to find out what what's the story with this guy. And uh, and we heard a bunch of stories, and and one of the things that that uh, he said that you know the what makes a great leader is never stop learning never stop learning i tell my guys at the office never stop learning don't 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 ever think that you're there because you're not and uh regardless of how big your paycheck is uh that's not an indication that you're there cuz there's always more to learn so <clears throat> i've been to this uh conference with all loan officers and ceos and you know what uh the one thing i like to do when i the one thing i notice when i go to to these conferences as I get around, get around my peers. And I realize I don't really have that many peers because the majority of people in the mortgage business don't get it. They really don't get it. And you know, and I, I'm, I'm looking for the secret because I'm looking for the secret. Cause I see the, the, some of the, some of the challenges of just running a mortgage business in, in 2017 America with the, all the new regulations and it's, it's frustrating. And so I'm going there looking for the secret. And I sat in on a, on a executive panel for about three hours of, uh, some, some CEOs from companies bigger than larger than wholesale capital. And, and I just came to the conclusion that there are no secrets. It's just get your execution right. And everybody's kind of scratching their head and they're, you know, trying to, trying to get it right. And it's just take care of your clients 
make sure you close on time. And um, but there are a few little tidbits, a few little tidbits that that I took from it, and uh, that that apply to not just the mortgage business to to other things. And uh, one of, one of the speakers made this comment, and I I told this to my wife because she was uh, she missed this session. Um, that you're too big, and this is, applies to everybody. Your two biggest assets are the person looking at you in the mirror. And the people that you know and know you. So your the two, your two biggest assets are are yourself and your relationships. Don't look at hey you know what this person's succeeding in life because of this or because of, hey look at the person in the mirror. That's your strongest asset right there. And the people that you know your relationships. Um, uh, Jack Canfield Jack Canfield uh, spoke the guy who wrote uh, Success Principles and Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, he brought up he brought up. Uh, a Michael Jordan, uh, a Michael Jordan uh, quote. He says, "Heart is what separates the good from the great." And I always say, you know, what? if you go to your job and and you and you just kill time, if you you have a choice of either killing time or working it to death, and if you work it to death and you just go into your job with heart, and you know that's how that's how you get great in this country. It's you know the difference between between people that the people that are we would call the poor people or the middle class difference between the poor people and the middle class difference between the middle class and the rich people is just a little adjustment in the way you think a little, it takes eight hours to get through eight hour, eight hour day. You know what? If you, you know, the, the idea is the government doesn't create the middle class. The government gets out of the way so that, so that, employers can create jobs and you get those minimum wage jobs and you get those started and you work your butt off. You work, you, you kill, you work, you work time to death instead of killing time. And somebody notices and you get a promotion or somebody walks up to the counter at McDonald's and says, wow, you really have something. Uh, you have a great attitude. Uh, Why don't you come work for me? I don't know how many, how many of you have started out at fast food places or tire shops or, or anywhere else. And one of the customers offered you a job because they saw your attitude. No, that's that's what heart is. What separates the good from the great? A um, whole bunch of stuff here. Um, take response. Someone things that Jack Canfield said. Take a hundred percent, hundred percent responsibility for your life results. Act as if what I did, what I, what did I do to cause this? Everything that happens to you, don't say, "Hey, this person caused." Say, "What did I do to cause it?" Because guess what? When when you blame it on somebody else, you lose control. Because you can't control anybody but you. Um, one of the, one of the comments he said, what got you here, what got you here won't get you there. Strategies need to change. And he was talking about Trump. Hey, you know, he got into office by, by tweeting and may, and connecting with that. That may not be how he gets from where he is to run into, to making America great again. He may need to change that. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that completely. Maybe a little bit. Cause I know a lot of the people really uh, enjoy having some, uh, direct some direct communication from him but maybe he needs to probably fine-tune that a little bit um, 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 um he he did an ex uh jack canfield did an exercise exercise with taking some of the things that you can't do and just change the word to won't and i and i thought about this and say hey you know what i can't seem to lose weight i want to lose 40 pounds i seem i can't do it do it you know what in reality i won't walk away from those donuts when somebody puts them right in front of me, I know, you know what? Somebody puts that stuff in front of me and that's, and I tell my wife, I say, Hey, you know what? I won't go looking for this stuff. So if you want to buy cookies and all that stuff for you, leave them in the pantry. I won't go looking for them. But when you open the bag and leave it on the counter, 
I have no willpower to to stay away from it. So, you know, it's but it's not a question of I can't. It's a question of I won't because I look at them and I say, I know I shouldn't eat that. I want to lose weight and I just won't make myself do it. Some good stuff. Some good stuff here. Um, I won't go through everything. Uh, but you know who uh, who spoke? Um, oh, one other one other quote that was from uh, from uh, Richard Branson. If your dreams don't scare you, they're too small. One of the thing. Uh, one of the one of the the guest speaker there was uh, Magic Johnson. And you know, I've been to a million of these things, and I've heard a million different a uh, million different people speak. And the one thing that I I learned is everybody has a story. And uh, at one point, I I got to listen to Rudy Rudiger. If you've seen the movie Rudy, um, the the small kid that had a dream of of uh, going to Notre Dame, and uh, he told his story, and he said, "Hey, you know what? If I only played twenty seven seconds, if they didn't make this movie about it, I wouldn't be famous. No one would even know who I was unless you were looking in the record books." Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson talked about his his career in the Lakers and his career since. And you know what? It goes to your attitude, your attitude, your attitude. And it and just, just again, reinforced, everybody's got a story. Everybody's a superstar. You just got to look at yourself that way and never quit. Let me play a little clip of what he said. So I went up there five times. They said no five times or six times. They finally said, okay, Magic. We're going to give you $50 million. And if you over-deliver with the $50 million, you can come up, come back up and get $100 million more. So I bought a shopping center for $22 million, only 40% occupied, made it 100% occupied, resold that center for $48 million, took the $26 million back up to Sacramento. They said, hmm, I guess you do know business. So when I talk about over-delivering, I live that every day. I'm not just telling you something. I live it every single day. You know what? If your kids, if you play this for your kids, you know what? Over deliver. That doesn't mean you got to go get fifty million dollars from CalPERS and get and use their their equity fund and go buy a twenty two million dollar commercial property. It means work your butt off when you're at work. If you're at McDonald's or In and Out Burger or or wherever you're at, to over deliver every time. Well, you know what? I'm only getting $15 an hour. This other guy's getting 18 and I work harder than him. So I'm just not, I'm just going to tone it down. Guess what? If the other guy's not working as hard, he's not going anywhere. You only concentrate on you. You only concentrate on you and over deliver on everything. The difference between rich people and poor people is a little difference in, in, uh, in the way they think. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my, uh, that's my success principle for this week. Let's get on. To, let's get on to what's going on in this country, and uh, so I can help help train you to think the way you should be thinking. Keep your eyes open. And sometimes I think, hey, maybe I'm I'm really focused on this stuff that's going on in this world. It's really kind of it's really kind of depressing sometimes. But you know what? You got to have your eyes open. Live in reality. So uh, let's talk about what's going on. Ramadan terror attacks. Islamic extremists have been known to carry out terror attacks during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which uh, starts late May and ends in late June. This year, Ramadan was no different. Since the first day of Ramadan 2017, jihadis have used bombs, guns, suicide vests, and vehicles to massacre more than 100 people in 21 countries. Here's some of the attacks. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Religions don't. Remember Obama saying religions? No religion kills people. Maybe Islam is not a religion. 
Okay, have you thought about that? Maybe it's not really a religion. Maybe it's a uh, it's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe it's a, a a way to take over the world disguised as a religion. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a uh, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? The a uh, manifest. Maybe it's a manifest to take over the world, and they described it as a religion, and they d- disguised it as a religion. Maybe that's it. Uh, May 22nd, Manchester attack. 22 people killed. Manchester, England at the uh, Ariana Grande concert outside. 22 killed, 116 injured. May 24th in the Philippines. Nine Christians are captured by Islamic militants. Shot to death. May 24th, same day, Iraq. ISIS booby trap takes out the family of 23, including... Family of 23? Maybe it's a group of 23. That's really one family? Uh, Including a pregnant woman and children. Uh, May 24th, same day, Indonesia. Two suicide bombers detonate outside a bus terminal, killing three guards. Same day in Somalia. Five people are exterminated by Shahid suicide bomber. Two days later, May 26th, Egypt. 28 Christians, including 10 children, are on their way to a monastery where they're massacred by Islamic gunmen. Same day in Egypt. Uh, Shahid suicide car bomber slaughters 18 at a public bus station. The next day, May 27th, in Afghanistan, three women and a child are among 19 civilians found slain by Islamic extremists near a university. Same day in the Philippines, eight employees at a rice mill are murdered by jihadists for having betrayed their faith. May 28th, the next day, uh, in Iraq, a Sunni suicide bomber targets an ice cream shop in a Shiite area, killing 16 women and children. June 2nd, they took five days off, apparently, uh, in the Philippines. Uh, Philippines, 37 people were gunned down, gunned down in Manila Casino. ISIS claimed the Islamic State fighters carried out the attack. Most of you know this one. June 3rd in Great Britain, three terrorists plowed a van into a pedestrians on the London Bridge before going on a stabbing rampage with a 12-inch hunting knife. With 12-inch hunting knives, three of them. Um, six died. Dozens were injured. We'll talk more about this one in a, in a couple of minutes. June 5th in Australia, three days later. Uh, or two days later, an, an ISIS-inspired migrant from Somalia kills a man and takes a woman hostage. Two days later, June 7th, uh, that was Tuesday. Tuesday? That was Wednesday. Wednesday, two Fedayeen suicide bombers attack a Shiite shrine uh, in Iran, killing two patrons, and at least five others are killed when a suicide bomber detonate, detonates at, at a parliament building. Another you might have heard of this week, this is also on Wednesday, uh, in France, an attacker hit a police officer with a hammer outside Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, shouting, this is for Syria. I say Notre Dame because that's how they say it in France. It's Notre Dame for those of us in America, but this is the, this is the cathedral, not the college. And uh, he said, uh, this is for Syria, and I am a soldier of the caliphate. You know what? Maybe we should, maybe we should stop considering this, uh, you know, uh, the the... The things that Trump wants to do are not holding down religious, uh, keeping out religious freedom. Maybe Islam is not a, a religion. Can you think of that? Hey, there's some prayer involved. That doesn't make it for sure a religion. So let's go back to what happened on June 3rd. The London Bridge was the third jihadist attack on British soil in the past 10 weeks. There were three attackers, all killed by police. Uh, Rahid, Rahid Redouan and Kuram Shazad Butt. Nice name. Uh, and the last guy's name was Yusuf Zagba, a 22-year-old uh, Moroccan Italian living in uh, London. Okay, so uh, um, let's see where I was. Um, surprise, surprise, British police and the MI5, that's the English CIA, were familiar with him, with the, with this guy. 
and yet he was free to carry out his attack because there was no intelligence to suggest an attack was being planned. Well, how's this for evidence? But, Kuram Shazad But had been reported to the British anti-terrorism hotline by parents who complained that he was trying to convert their kids to Islamic extremism at a local park. Uh, so you send your kids to the park and some guy's trying to turn them to Islamic extremism. And, uh, and the, that's the same park where he filmed a British TV documentary called, wait for it, The Jihadis Next Door. Well, uh, I'll play a little clip from that. I'll recap the last couple sentences at the, after the break. But I'm all out of time for this, uh, this uh, part one of the main event. Don't go away. We'll continue this after five minutes of commercials, traffic, and weather. Don't go away. And welcome back to the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about real estate or uh, financing on the radio because, uh, I don't know, I guess it's boring if you're not in the market. But when you're in the market and you want to get, get some financing, you want to talk to some guy that uh, thinks like you, whether it's refinancing, purchasing, or a reverse mortgage, call me at 855-640-2020. 855-640-2020, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. So we've been talking about all the uh, all the Islamic attacks, all the Muslim extremists uh, for Ramadan, and uh, with, which goes another couple of weeks before it's over. Um, and if we've lost in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've lost a hundred people in 21 countries. Um, we're talking about the, uh, the one, the, the London bridge attack in, in England. And, uh, this guy, the British had been watching him and, uh, because somebody had called that they tried to, they tried to, uh, convert their kids at the park. And, uh, apparently the same park, the British, some British TV show, the TV station is has a series called "The Jihadis Next Door." Um, and here's a clip from here's a clip. I don't know if it's a film or it's a series. I got the impression it was a film, uh, or it was a series of, you know, that hey, we're gonna have it's like uh, it's like uh, Housewives of Orange County or something. Desperate Housewives, Desperate Jihadis Next Door. Here's a clip from that film where he complains that he and his friends were kicked out of the park for innocently praying. Only English white person who's a non-Muslim was part of our group, but because he's white and he's English, he can go. But all of us that were just praying, we have to stay. This is the reality. This is the reality. This is the reality. Don't forget all the laws and all this. This is the reality. There's no reason for us to be detained. There's no evidence. We were just praying. We can't pray as well. We were just praying, and we and we're being detained. Problem is, they weren't just praying. They're praying to a black ISIS flag. Which, uh, if you see the video, you can you can see the whole thing. They're they're praying to ISIS. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. If you saw that in your neighborhood, would you just say, "Hey, live and let live"? They're exercising their religious freedom. I don't know. I don't think I would. I think I'd uh, be calling the police. Um, even the police, even though the police underreacted in this case by waiting until the known jihadists plowed into innocent people on the truck with a truck on London Bridge, one MSNBC host. PMSNBC, Richard Louis, Louis, L-U-I, still wants to know, is there a such thing as overreacting to terrorism? What is the risk? There's certainly a risk of underreaction, but is there any risk of overreaction, of deploying too much? You know, as we've been watching all of this live coming into our, 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 our satellite center here in New York City and then beaming it out from London, is there, is there ever a, a point where you go, well, that's too much? I'll tell you what, what's over. What's uh, is there a danger overreaction? Yeah, because then you get called a bigot, 
you get called a, a, a anti you get called a xenophobic or anti uh, uh, Muslimophobic or however whatever you call it. You know what you get you get called names by the by the left. Well, you're just you're just being intolerant. You're just intolerant. You don't you're not enjoying uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, the diversity of our country. This is what made America great. I don't think so. I think we brought in people from all uh, all uh, cultures and all religions, but we didn't let people from religions that hated everybody else. Christians don't want to kill Jews. Jews don't want to kill Catholics. Catholics don't want to kill Buddhists. And Buddhists don't want to kill Hindus. The only people that want to kill are Muslims. So, uh, and you know, that's part of their, part of their, their religious book. The religious book says if you're if you don't believe you either have to convert, either have to convert or you die. So I don't know, I don't know if that's religious freedom or not. You know, some of you Democrats out there listen to the the BS on PMS, NBC, and and see. I guess I guess maybe maybe some of the liberal uh, talking things are coming around because you heard the guy on. Well, he said, "Is there a such thing as overreacting?" Well, yeah, it is because you're going to be the one who's going to call it out. Here's someone who actually gets it. Piers Morgan, remember him? He might have he might have annoyed us back when he was on CNN, but these days he sounds pretty reasonable on Good Morning Britain. This week he asked a great question. When somebody's appearing on national television in this country, clutching ISIS flags in a in a program called uh, Jihadis Next Door, are British public not entitled to ask why more was not done to prevent this person from becoming a terrorist? Because it's right there. Kind of reminds me of uh, the Boston bombers, uh, the Sarnayev brothers. You know what? Russia Russia called America to the CIA or the NSA and told them, "Hey, these two guys are up to no good. They've been in your country. Then they flew into uh, into uh, one of the countries back there, and then to Russia. And when they were flying back to America, the their their whatever department called our State Department or the NSA and said, "Keep an eye on these guys," and we didn't. Of course, that was during the Obama administration. So uh, I'll just blame it on uh, on Obama because it's what I like to do. Um, because he likes he likes his Muslim friends, and maybe he didn't want to. Uh, maybe he didn't want to watch them. Um, someone else who gets it, Ann Coulter. Um, not my favorite person, although I do like the what uh, I do like. I do like most of her her. Uh, I don't like how she treats people, but I do like the way she thinks. Here's an excerpt from her syndicated column this week. In Britain, as in the U.S., when an Islamic terrorist is said to be known to law enforcement, and translation is, he's being actively ignored by law enforcement. Poland doesn't admit Muslims. It has no terrorism. Japan doesn't admit Muslims. It has no terrorism. United Kingdom and United States used to have very few Muslims, and they used to have almost no terrorism. Former Prime Minister Tony Blair dumped millions of third world Muslims on Britain to force multiculturalism on the country. We need to be multicultural. Now Brit now Britons are are living with, with the result. Since 9-11 attack, every US president has done the same. President Bush admitted Muslim immigrants at a faster pace after 9-11 than we had been doing before 9-11. That's to prove that we're not bigots. That's to prove that we're not these are my words. This is not Ann Coulter's. I'll go back to Ann Coulter's words. Whatever the 9-11 attackers intended to accomplish, I bet they didn't expect that. Now we can't get rid of them. Under the rules of political correctness, Western countries are prohibited from even pausing our breakneck importation of Muslims, much less uh, sending recent arrivals home. I mean, are you guys idiots? You know, think about this. Trump's trying to stop it, at least temporarily, till we can do something. 
And what what did we do? We got we went judge shopping. The Democrats went judge shopping for someone to to uh, file some papers to stop it. And then the then the uh, uh, appeals court upheld it, and now it's going to the Supreme Court. How long is that going to take? Forty six thousand Muslim refugees have been admitted uh, since the beginning of the year. How long are we going to keep? Are we going to keep tied, tying this immigration ban up? Till uh, till we get it figured out. So some of you guys go, well, Trump is just he's just he's against religious freedom. Now wake up, he's 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 against letting your kids and your grandkids have the same to have to put up with the what we're doing now. He wants to make sure that his kids and our kids and our grandkids and our grandkids' kids have an America that's safe to live in. Safe and free. So uh, in the wake of the London Bridge attack, British Prime Minister Theresa May delivered a statement that's, uh, where she talked tough on terror. It is time to say enough is enough. Everybody needs to go about their lives as they normally would. Our society should continue to function in accordance with our values. But when it comes to taking on extremism and terrorism, things need to change. Yeah, well, she sounds fed up, but what does she plan to do? Our president's trying to implement a travel ban uh, in a fight that will go all the way to the Supreme Court. What is she doing? Well, I know she's trying to separate the country from the European Union to start, which uh, basically when they became the European Union, that's when the, uh, you know, hey, if you get into Belgium or you get into whatever's on the far east coast next, the far east coast of Europe before Asia starts, um, if you get into those countries, once you're in, you're pretty much in any country you want to be in. Kind of like being in the United States. Once you get in the United States, it's pretty easy to go from state to state. Not too much, uh, not too much inspection. You know, you go from uh, from uh, uh, Arizona into California. You, you know, they, they, as you're, as you're going in or out, they want to check to make sure you're not bringing mussels in from some of the waterways into their into their lakes or taking them from one lake to the other. Uh, you know, you drive into, uh, you drive through the, from Nevada into California, you drive through a thing where they, I don't know what they're looking for, but they, uh, they, they look at you and wave you past. Not sure what they do. Uh, I just commented yesterday and we came back from, uh, from the mastermind conference. Uh, I told Don, I said, man, I wonder how much we pay those guys to just stand there and chit chat and wave us, wave us by as we come through. That's our border patrol. So, uh, and say, you know what? That's what's going on. That's what's going on. And uh, beware. Keep your head screwed on straight and your eyes open so you know what's going on. So uh, then the big talk, the big talk of what's going on this week was was uh, Wednesday. When, or it was Thursday. Thursday, former FBI Director James Comey's much-anticipated testimony before the State Senate Intelligence Committee on Thursday. We actually got a piece of his story a day earlier um, in case you missed it. Uh, Comey sent a seven-page prepared statement to the committee on Wednesday, which immediately made it to the media. Here's a synopsis of the statement, so uh, you'll know you'll know where the where the uh, committee hearing started. 
James Comey gives a dramatic account, often in vivid detail, of five one-on-one -on -one conversations with Donald Trump. The first with President-elect Trump in New York, January 6th, a briefing on the investigation of Russia's election meddling and salacious claims about to become public that Mr. Trump was involved with prostitutes four years earlier in Moscow, something Trump has vehemently denied. Comey says he thought about whether to give an assurance that Mr. Trump was not under investigation. That was true, Comey says. We did not have an open counter intelligence case on him, I offered that assurance. Comey says he decided right then to document his conversations with Mr. Trump and began typing the notes on a laptop as he rode away from Trump Tower in an FBI car. Next meeting, dinner at the White House, January 27th. Comey says the president told him, I need loyalty. I expect loyalty. Comey says, I didn't move, speak, or change my facial expression in any way during the awkward silence that followed, but later answered, you will always get honesty from me. He also told the president that the FBI was not investigating Mr. Trump personally. In his interview with Lester Holt, the president said Comey requested the dinner. A dinner was arranged. I think he asked for the dinner. And he wanted to stay on as the FBI head. But Comey says Mr. Trump called him with the invitation. And he says he got the feeling it was an effort to have me ask for my job and create some kind of patronage relationship. Next, February 14th, after an Oval Office intelligence briefing, the day after National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was forced to resign. He quotes the president as saying, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. Comey says, I did not say I would let this go, adding, I had understood the president to be requesting that we drop any investigation of Flynn into whether Flynn made false statements about his conversations with Russia's ambassador to the U.S. But Comey says, I did not understand the president to be talking about the broader investigation into Russia or possible links to his campaign. Comey says he remembers leaving the Oval Office through the door by the grandfather clock and that he told only a few people about it because he didn't want to let the FBI investigators know about a request that the FBI had no intention of granting. After that, he says, he asked Attorney General Jeff Sessions to prevent any further direct communications with the president, but he says Sessions did not reply. March 30th, Comey says, the president called him at the FBI and asked what we could do to lift the cloud of the Russia allegations, adding, quote, that he had nothing to do with Russia, had not been involved with hookers in Russia, and had always assumed he was being recorded when in Russia. Comey replied that he had told congressional leaders that the FBI was not investigating Mr. Trump, who responded we need to get that fact out and added if there were some satellite associates of his who did something wrong, it would be good to find that out. Two weeks later, Comey says the president called again and asked what I had done about his request that I get out that he is not personally under investigation. Comey says the president added, I have been very loyal to you, very loyal. We had that thing, you know. Comey says he didn't ask what the president meant by that thing. Yeah, well, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything too terrible there. And uh, sounds like uh, like Trump would would have liked Comey to tell somebody besides him that he wasn't being investigated because this is all the all the noise that we've been hearing from uh, Maxine Waters and and uh, uh, what's his name um, Eli Cummings and uh, Al Al Green and all these all these idiots out there uh, that want to make a big deal. Well, you know we're gonna impeach the president, impeach the president. Oh, and then you can use about anything from CNN or uh, MSNBC. Impeach the president. Impeach the president. He's colluding with Russia. You know what? And for those of you that didn't see, there's a Megyn Kelly did an interview with uh, 
with uh, Vladimir Putin last weekend, and he basically just shut her down and made her look stupid in my eyes. Um, basically, say, hey, you know what? Nobody's colluding. Nobody's colluding with uh, elections. If you want to look at see who some who who tries to get involved in other countries' elections, look at United States. Um, and uh, and I believe that because I know we put in like three hundred thousand dollars through the State Department to try and beat uh, to turn over. Uh, Israel's election so that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu wouldn't have got reelected. And uh, that's just a, a great thing we did, you know, spend our money on on that. So uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, from there, when Comey took the stand Thursday, he would uh, not have to, he he said he would not recap the prepared statement. Said he jumped right into defending his performance as FBI director, questioning the president's comments on him. When I was appointed FBI director in 2013, I understood that I served at the pleasure of the president, even though I was appointed to a 10-year term, which Congress created in order to underscore the importance of the FBI being outside of politics and independent. I understood that I could be fired by a president for any reason or for no reason at all. And on May the 9th, when I learned that I had been fired, for that reason, I immediately came home as a private citizen. But then the explanations, the shifting explanations, confused me and increasingly concerned me. They confused me because the president and I had had multiple conversations about my job, both before and after he took office. And he had repeatedly told me I was doing a great job and he hoped I would stay. And I had repeatedly assured him that I did intend to stay and serve out the remaining six years of my term. He told me repeatedly that he had talked to lots of people about me including our current attorney general, and had learned that I was doing a great job and that I was extremely well-liked by the FBI workforce. So it confused me when I saw on television the president saying that he actually fired me because of the Russia investigation and learned again from the media that he was telling privately other parties that my firing had relieved great pressure on the Russia investigation. I was also confused by the initial explanation that was offered publicly that I was fired because of the decisions I had made during the election year. That didn't make sense to me for a whole bunch of reasons, including the time and all the water that had gone under the bridge since those hard decisions that had to be made. That didn't make any sense to me. And although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, the administration then chose to defame me and more importantly, the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. And, you know, uh, I know that some of you, that's a long, that was a long clip, but remember when he said, hey, when I found out I was, I was, uh, I was terminated, I was, I was uh, fired from my job, I came home as a private citizen, because he wants to put a timeline on that, that as of the being fired... I'm no longer the head of the FBI, so I can do some stuff that I couldn't do before. But uh, I I disagree with that. I disagree with that. So let's let's get to some of the and and we'll talk about that in another three or four clips. Let's get to some of the senators' questions. Susan Collins, Republican from from Maine, who I don't ever consider a Republican. She's kind of a Rhino a Republican in name only. Uh, she asked Comey about each of the three occasions where Comey told the question the president that he was not being investigated. First question on January 6th, you volunteered the president. 
you volunteered the president the assurance that he was not being investigated. Were you talking about counterintelligence investigation or any kind of FBI investigation? I didn't use the term counterintelligence. I was speaking to him and briefing him about some salacious and unverified material. It was in the context of that that he had a strong and defensive reaction about that not being true. And my reading of it was it was important for me to assure him we were not personally investigating him. And so the context then was actually narrower, focused on what I just talked to him about. But it was very important because it was first true. And second, I was very, very much about being in kind of a kind of a J. Edgar Hoover type situation. I didn't want him thinking that I was briefing him on this to sort of hang it over him in some way. I was briefing him on it because we had been told by the media it was about to launch. We don't want to be keeping that from him. And if there was some, he needed to know this was being said. But I was very keen not to leave him with an impression that the Bureau was trying to do something to him. And so that's the context in which I said, sir, we're not personally investigating you. Here's Colin's same question. Susan Collins, same question regarding January 27th conversation. Did this apply to counterintelligence investigation or a criminal one? Here's Comey's answer. I didn't modify the word investigation. It was, again, he was reacting strongly against that unverified material saying, I'm tempted to order you to investigate it. And that, in the context of that, I said, sir, you want to be careful about that because it might create a narrative we're investigating you personally. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I think that probably wasn't bad advice, but I think uh, Comey's talking out of both sides of his mouth because he's, he's very clear on some things and some things he's very cloudy on. Next, it was on the March 30th conversation when Trump called him to ask if Comey could lift the cloud of the Russia investigation. That conversation, Comey said, stemmed from his March 20th meeting with congressional leaders where he told the FBI, told them the FBI was not personally investigating uh, Mr. Trump. Collins asked for clarification. We briefed the congressional leadership about what Americans we had opened counterintelligence investigation cases on, and we specifically said the president is not one of those Americans, but that there was no other investigation of the president that we were not mentioning at that time. The context was counterintelligence, but I wasn't trying to hide some criminal investigation of the president. And was the president under investigation at the time of your dismissal on May 9th? No. Yeah, see, that last part is important because the left says Comey was fired because he was investigating the president. Comey says Trump was not, not under investigation when he was fired. So, uh, I don't know. He fired him to stop the investigation that wasn't going on, which to me vindicates him. says, hey, and that narrative is not true. One of the most eye-opening parts of Comey's testimony was the reason why he leaked, the fact that he did leak. I can't believe he, he actually... Uh, admitted this, he, meet the, he leaked his memo of conversations with the president to the media and the, and the revelation that he did it through a friend. The president tweeted on Friday after I got fired that I better hope there's not tapes. I woke up in the middle of the night on Monday night because it didn't dawn on me originally that there might be corroboration for our conversation. There might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. And another question came from uh, Senator James Langford, Republican from Oklahoma. Is there any question the president is not really fond of this investigation? The president has informed around 6 billion people versus, via Twitter that, of that. You tried to keep other FBI agents away from the comments that the president made 
So is there a difference there? Uh, if the question didn't make any sense, Comey's answer made less sense throughout his testimony. Comey uh, seemed to be seeking out opportunities to repeat the fact that the president asked Attorney General Jeff Sessions to leave the room and that Comey wasn't comfortable with that. A big difference in kicking superior officers out of the Oval Office, looking the FBI director in the eye and saying, I hope you let this go. I think if our if the agents, as good as they are, heard the president of the United States did that, you. there's a real risk of a chilling effect on their work. That's why we kept it so tight. And uh, here's Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. He asked, do you know if there are any tapes or recordings of your conversation with the president? It never occurred to me till the president's tweet. I'm, I'm not being facetious. I hope there are, and I'll consent to the release of... So both of you, both of you are in the same findings here. You both hope there's tapes and recordings. Well, I'm the, I, all I can do is hope. Uh, the, the president surely knows whether he taped me, and if he did, uh, my feelings aren't hurt. Release the entire, release all the tapes. I'm gotcha. good with it. Gotcha. But not everything Comey revealed concerned the Trump White House. As it turns out, Obama's Attorney General Loretta Lynch made a very bold decision on behalf of Hillary Clinton. She asked Comey to change what he was calling FBI's investigation of Hillary's emails so that it would align with Hillary's campaign. Uh, what Hillary's campaign was calling it. Listen. Well, it concerned me because we were at the point where we had refused to confirm the existence, as we typically do, of an investigation for months. And it was getting to a place where that looked silly because the campaigns were talking about interacting with the FBI in the course of our work. The, the Clinton campaign at the time was using all kinds of euphemisms, security review, matters, things like that for what was going on. We were getting to a place where the Attorney General and I were both going to have to testify and talk publicly about it. And I want to know, was she going to authorize us to confirm we had an investigation? And she said, yes, but don't call it that. Call it a matter. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, just call it a matter. If this says, if this doesn't just, uh, raise the BS meter in your, in, your, in your brain, something's wrong. You know, this thing is dirty, and quite frankly, I think uh, Thursday was a great vindication for President Trump, and uh, we'll see if uh, James Comey ends up in jail for leaking that stuff to the newspapers. I uh, ran out of time. I had a few more clips to go, but don't worry about it. We'll continue this next week. My name is Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event, and I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions, MB Number 096199.